Hello and welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. I'm Reese Desmond, and I am joined here today by two fantastic people. First up, he is the co-host of the Football Masterminds show. Here he is, the Alan St. Maximine to my celebratory dance, Kosti Kapoor. Hey everyone, uh, nice to do our seventh show, I think. Uh, pretty excited about today's show. We're going to be talking about some interesting fan questions that we got. Uh, let's get it going. Yes, of course we are, as always, taking your questions and answering them on this show. We unfortunately do not have Russell with us tonight. He had some sad family news earlier today, um, which was very upsetting to hear. And we're all at Football Masterminds, myself, Kosti, and our, our wonderful guests I haven't introduced yet. Um, we're all with Russell. We are all thinking about Russell and his family during this time. We wish Russell all the best and hope that he can join us again very soon. Yeah, today is just uh, hoping and praying that he's doing fine and sorry for his loss and are trying to support him in this tough time however possible yeah we're all with you russell and and the family during this difficult time we have joined us today instead of russell um he was going to be here anyway regardless of russell joining us or not so we're very very excited to welcome in for the first time uh he's been contributing a lot during our questions constantly wanting to participate in the show so i'm very happy to have Arjun joining us today. Arjun, how are you doing? Thanks so much, uh, Reese and Kosti, for having me on the show. First and foremost, uh, my wishes go out to Russell as well. Um, and you know, I hope we kind of get to um, hear from him soon um, and see him back on the show. So Arjun, people who have not ever heard your voice before and might be wondering a bit about you, do you want to tell us a bit about what teams you support, your interests right now in football? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I've had a very interesting story when it comes to football. I think I started with playing a lot of FIFA as a kid. Uh, I played a lot of FIFA with Kosti as a kid. I remember beating him a lot, but those tables kind of turned a few years ago. Come so much so that I don't play FIFA with him anymore. It's just not a good use of my time uh, <laughs> with him rubbing it in my face all the time now. Uh over the last three or four years, I've started playing a lot of like fantasy Premier League, and that's where like most of my um, interest into football comes from. Um, and that's when I really started kind of following the teams. Um, and as an extension of the Premier League, I started following the Champions League as well. Um, a very interesting thing about me, I don't have a favorite team. And that's just because I've started following the sport in detail like three or four years ago. Um, so I'm still working on that one, but it's a very frustrating topic for some of my friends because who supports United and Liverpool in the same game, huh? <laughs> Reese, I, I just want to ask you, why Dortmund again? I don't think we covered that on the show. Why Dortmund? So I started getting really into Brissy Dortmund around the time that uh, Goal TV picked up the Bundesliga and it was one of the few leagues in Canada that you could watch. And at that time, it was around 2010, 2011, 2012. Dortmund were the best team in Germany. Um, and I just, I loved the way they played with these sort of like quick attacking transitions and just a very exciting brand of football that was very exhilarating to watch. So it was very easy to get into Dortmund right away and then 
to see them win the title in two back-to-back seasons, it made it much easier to develop a love for them. Um, honestly, like love for United was a bit of the same way. Like we talk about Russell as a bandwagon. I mean, I kind of am, I guess, as well because I started liking Manchester United because they were the best team in England at that time, and they were very exciting to watch. So, what about you? Why, why Liverpool? Yeah, just on that, I feel like everybody outside of, you know, the city that they live in, so say England or, you know, if you're in France, if you're in Paris, um, you support the teams that are doing really well in that moment and then they become your teams. And like Roy Keane would say, you know, you can change your wife, but not your team. So then you just stick with it. And even so, you know, we've stuck with Liverpool in those absolutely garbage seasons and Dortmund in this, you know, rough transition period as well. Uh, Why Liverpool? Um, so I also started watching it in 2010, 2011. I just, um, there was something on TV about Steven Gerrard um, and about his whole story around being Mr. Liverpool and how he, you know, how he really took on the responsibility for the whole city. I thought that was really cool. And uh, I'm, I'm a weird person in that I actually li- like underdogs. So... And Liverpool were always underdogs, so I was like, this team's kind of cool. So I started supporting them, and then we had that crazy run with Suarez that just kind of cemented the attraction, and then we just, you know, we're here now. Yeah, it is It is really interesting to, to hear you speak about it, because obviously Liverpool were a team that, when you probably started watching them, they weren't like the best team in England. They weren't just winning trophies and that kind of thing. So it is it is interesting to hear the the different sides of the coin here where I started liking Manchester United because they were just the best around and you probably had less superficial reasons when you chose your team, uh, which is great on you. We are very excited to talk about this Champions League race all over again. We talk about Liverpool pretty much every single week, but it's really heating up, I think, this Champions League race as we approach the finish line here. West Ham with a big win this weekend over Leicester City to pump them into fourth place. Do we think West Ham are going to be in at the end of the season with the chance of qualifying for the top four? Yeah, I'll go first on this because obviously I was watching West Ham and hoping that they lose to Leicester City, which I, I, I like to do this thing where I look at like the competitors that Liverpool have for that fourth place. And, you know, if it's a, I try and like do some calculation in my mind about how many points they're going to get from the rest of the games. So this game I put in my mind, I was like, yeah, Leicester, West Ham, simple clap, easy clap. Uh, and you, there we go. We're ahead of them because we're ahead of them on goal difference. Uh, but obviously West Ham and uh, Lingardino is just absolutely insane at this moment. Whatever that dude touches, half volleys, volleys, 40 yards out, 80 yards out, he's just scoring everything. So um, not really enjoying that. But uh, I having having just seeing, uh, just seeing West Ham's fixture list, the only solace I get being a Liverpool fan is that they have to play Chelsea and they have to play Everton. But the rest of their schedule looks really, really beatable. Um, they play Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, uh, West Brom, and Southampton. You know, super winnable games. So I think they are probably the biggest challengers alongside Chelsea for that fourth spot. The weird thing I get, again, a feeling is that Leicester might not make it again. They have so many injury woes and they just don't look like a team that's built to um, win games without their key players. They just can't do that. I do have fears for Leicester as well, but what I think is that 
if they were to get a Europa League spot, I don't think that's the end of the world either. I don't think that's particularly devastating for a club of Leicester's size, of Leicester's size to get into the Europa League again. It's a, it's still a win. So you look at it and you're like, yeah, like Champions League would be ideal. They've been in it the whole season, but to get Europa League, like they're gonna what? They're gonna sack Brendan Rodgers? No, of course not. They're gonna they're gonna panic by a couple of new players because they haven't gotten the Champions League two seasons in a row. No, they're they're gonna make very sensible decisions again, like they did last summer. And regardless of if they get into the Champions League or not, Europa League's still pretty good. Um, West Ham, though, I'm I have the same fears over West Ham, and I I'm curious to ask Arjun about this as well because Declan Rice is out now, and Cresswell got injured on the weekend, and it looked like a hamstring injury. Uh, Mikel Antonio still out. They are finding ways to adapt to their injuries and the way he, uh, David Moyes played this sort of three four one two one two system was really intelligent. But I'm I'm actually fearful for West Ham as well and their top four chances because they have so many injuries to key players. Yeah, looking at their fixture list, like Costi mentioned, like they just have the one game against Chelsea and the rest of them are um, pretty. Well, I would say, yeah, pretty beatable. Um, so I would favor West Ham to stay in the top four, even though they do have injury concerns. As long as Lingard gets to play most of those games, I think they should come out on top. <laughs> and um, I agree with the fact that Leicester might drop out of the top four, and I would probably put Liverpool in there. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, Chelsea has some tough games coming up. Uh, I think they, they play City, they play Arsenal. Um, they're going to play West Ham. Um, so I think there is plenty of opportunity for them to kind of drop points there. So I'm going to probably put like West Ham and Liverpool. Okay, that's a hot take. Uh, Reese. I just wanted to wanted to bring it back to the point that it wouldn't be devastating. I think, I honestly think it would. Uh, being in top four all season, seven games left, seven points ahead of the fourth place, then sort of dropping out of that Champions League race because of granted very very key injuries to their players i think that's that's a that's something that, that won't be acceptable two seasons in a row i think if this was the first season it would be okay but i think two seasons in a row that's happening it shows either that whatever the support staff is doing around brendan rogers is not doing enough to keep people not going into injury like they they had some freak injuries but the rest of them were muscle injuries that are very preventable if you are players that manage well so that's the only thing i would say is uh, it's either the support staff that's not doing well or brendan Rodgers cannot close out that's entirely down to premier league scheduling of fixtures in a period of time in which this many football matches should not be taking place I don't fault any doing on to Leicester whatsoever. You're seeing injuries with every single Premier League team. The ones that haven't, sure, there maybe you could say some argument about those teams like Manchester United, Manchester City that have managed to avoid these sort of massive scale injuries and maybe they have a super great support system behind them. But I don't think we can fault anything onto Leicester's staff because players have not been able to avoid injury. And I don't think it would be devastating from the perspective of how would the club actually respond if they were to drop down to the Europa League. I think that's still a massive win for them. If you offer Brendan Rodgers Europa League at the start of the season, 
he says, absolutely. Like, we'll take that. I understand that their club size and their net spend is nowhere near the top six. And, you know, that makes it really hard. But two seasons in a row just leaves a bitter taste in every supporter that, you know, maybe it is, maybe it is Brendan Rodgers. Maybe it is the support team that's not doing enough, right? Because how, like once, once is definitely down to chance, right? But twice in a row, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Leicester fans. I just don't think you would, as a Leicester fan, be that heartbroken if your team ended up finishing fifth again rather than fourth or third. And let's not forget as well that they are still very much in it with a chance and that they're still in third place right now. And Ihenacho has come to life and is scoring goals for fun. And they have uh, other players that are very exciting still, like Yuri Tillemans and Wilfred Ndidi playing very well. So they are with every chance still in it. And if I was to pick a team that was going to finish in the top four right now, I would still have Leicester in there. I'm not sure which one of Chelsea or Liverpool I would probably go with. I don't think it will be West Ham. I just think Chelsea and Liverpool have too much quality. And then on top of that, the momentum behind that, if they had the quality and then no momentum like Tottenham or Arsenal, you could argue like, okay, there's no way they're going to finish in top four. But when you have so much quality and you have the momentum as well, I think eventually that's going to overtake West Ham. And let's also say, like, Aaron Cresswell got injured, then they conceded two goals. That could actually be key. If in the next couple games, either Lingard or Suchek gets injured, I think that's that's game done for them. That's that's where they drop off. So that those two players are definitely key. For anyone who's a Leicester fan listening out there, yeah, let us know your thoughts on... How would you respond to this and what would be your calling if, say, Leicester don't finish in top four? Because that's a super interesting question, given uh, Leicester's maybe aspirations to be a consistent top four side and then potentially somewhere down the line, maybe even challenge one of the big teams for the title. So I'm I'm looking at Leicester's fixture list um, and they finished the season with United, Chelsea and Spurs. Um, So it's it's definitely not not an exciting closeout for them. I mean... And that's why I kind of said that they might drop out. I, I don't think I would be able to say whether it'll be devastating or not for them uh, finishing fourth or fifth. But if I were to tell you about like three to six, I think coming in at third, it would be Liverpool. Fourth would be West Ham, um, then Chelsea and then Leicester. So that's going to be my three to six. So Leicester dropping all the way down to sixth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, third is... Chelsea, fourth is Liverpool, fifth is Leicester, sixth is West Ham. Okay, so you kind of agree with me about West Ham then? Yeah, I I kind of agree that West Ham, for them to finish in the top four would be an amazing achievement given their injuries. Um, But the only thing that is their saving grace is their fixture list. Although they have, they do play. Uh, they do still have the the Suchek, the crazy Suchek, still alive and well and running and heading everything. So he could be a key player in that top four race. We have to remember too. West Ham are a side that, if they are to finish in the Europa League or the Champions League, even better. But that could have very detrimental effects on their ability to perform in the Premier League next season. I remember when Slavin Bilic took them to seventh place and they got Europa League. And then at the start of the next season, they were absolutely terrible because they had just too many fixtures and they couldn't have, they didn't have the squad to actually cope with that. And let's say they finish in a Champions League or Europa League spot this season. Okay, maybe they're able to keep hold of Declan Rice or Kufal or Suchek, but what's stopping other teams from taking these players? What's stopping Chelsea, Man United from coming in for Declan Rice? 
if they finish in the Champions League with and then they don't have Declan Rice next season, they're going to be in a relegation battle. So I think best I honestly think best case scenario for West Ham is to finish in the Europa League because if they finish in the Champions League, they're they're going to have a very difficult time next season. Totally agree, and and uh, the the key the key point is although streaming revenue from Champions League is quite a bit, the thing is you don't get it until you play in the Champions League, so it doesn't affect your summer transfer twenty one, which does give a lot of uh, issues to West Ham that you know Declan Rice, your Thomas Suchek, I think Lingard definitely leaves. Um, all these things are on the horizon for them anyway and finishing in the Champions League doesn't really change the the players' aspirations to actually go and move for a bigger club anyway so that would be a big big loss for them just on that very random point um, I'm going to bring up Brighton's game today it was like absolutely amazing um, and I just hope that Liverpool buy Yves Basuma from Brighton next season. He's an absolute monster, an absolute god at carrying the ball. Uh, maybe it was just a couple games that I watched from him, but his ball retention and his even his driving with the ball is it's it's amazing. No, he'd be he'd be a very good fit for Liverpool. He he is an outstanding player. I think he's probably the outstanding player in that Brighton team. Uh, I thought he was excellent today as well. I I do agree. I think he's one of the the few sort of number eights that are actually true to a number eight that I think of, like the ability to do so much good defensive work and then still drive the ball forward and attack and be sort of this box-to-box midfielder. I don't think there's too many actually like that these days, um, where very much so most of them are either sort of a number six or a number 10. A lot of the number eights we see are like a Yuri Tillmans, who's just like an elegant passer. We don't often see this sort of box-to-box player. So I, I would love to see him at Liverpool want to mention on Patrick Bamford. Patrick Bamford would be really good at Brighton too. Brighton have oh, he would be amazing an at Brighton. Insurmountable number of ball carriers in Lalana, Trossard, Bissouma. Nobody can finish though. That team just like somebody put that goddamn ball in the net. What the hell? You know what I was actually thinking about this too. If Newcastle get relegated, you know who would be a really good striker for Brighton would be Callum Wilson. Because I think he, he, is, he is very perfect for the role where he's so mobile, he's good in the buildup, and then he can also just finish off chances, which is exactly what they need right now. Uh, I love uh, when, you know, their center backs go uh, a little push up a little higher and how motor plays on the wing I, uh, and supports the attack as well. I think they have a weird sort of four center backs playing, uh, one of them playing wing back as well. Motor is built like a, a center back playing wing back. I... Uh, and they have, uh, you know, um, the only person I think in that team that cannot carry the ball is Danny Welbeck because he's just an awkward player. But I, and I was looking at uh, just watching the game today, I, so many people carrying the ball, Lalana, Bisuma, just absolutely bossing the midfield. Um, but when it came to that sort of 18 yard box, just nobody had any idea of how to finish slicing the ball, taking half volleys where there isn't necessary, uh, missing simple passes and taking the shot on. They just need a striker, and they I think they would have finished way higher uh, in the in the in the table. The good thing for Brighton is that with the COVID pandemic, I don't envision them actually losing the likes of Basuma. I I I think if anyone's going to come in for a Brighton player, it would be Basuma. But I think you will keep hold of Lamptey, who hasn't played in. 2021 yet because he's been injured um they'll keep hold of like trossard and veltman who have done very well since coming into the side lawana has been a great addition 
and Ben White, you can keep hold of some of these players. And then Lewis Dunk is undeniably, I think, one of the best center backs in the league, but doesn't get any of the credit for it. He would fit into any Premier League team in the league. He would fit into Manchester United. He would fit into Manchester City. He would fit into Chelsea. United could really use him as a second uh, sort of center back alongside Maguire because uh, as good as I think uh, Lindelof is, I think he lacks a little bit of that little bit of aerial threat. It's only because he's not built too heavy. Uh, but Lewis Dunk... Um, is that and can be very useful in those games where you need that sort of physical presence. So that's actually really an interesting call out. The only thing that I would say on that is that Bissouma would be an amazing Wijnaldum replacement. And honestly, if there's any Liverpool scout or anybody listening, just go buy Bissouma and we're set for next season. I bet he'd be pretty cheap too. I bet he wouldn't cost like 40 million or anything like that. I bet he, I bet you could get him for a decent price. And I think we got a really interesting question as well from at Ali Karimi. And their question was about why doesn't Man United spend top dollars and buy top players? Why are they so focused on developing current players? Is this the correct approach? I think I want to answer uh, this question by opening it up a bit more to all of these Premier League teams or maybe even just professional teams in general and talk about is spending money to develop a youth academy and develop youth players the more effective approach than spending big money on transfers year in, year out. What do you think? What's the better approach, Arjun? It depends on the team's history. Like, I think, like, United does a, a mix of both. Um, like, they bring up youth in their academy. Uh, you know, you have the Rashfords. Um, and then they go out and buy players, you know, like Cavani and Fernandez. I know this is just the current crop of players who may not have produced the best of results, but you know it's it's something that has worked for United. You know, you on the other hand, you do have your teams like City, you know, who go in and buy a whole bench, billion dollar. Yeah, they buy a whole bench and they basically have like three <laughs> teams now. Um, <laughs> I really think it's it depends on the history of the teams of of how they've kind of um, been playing their football. I, I just want to say that's totally fair because uh, every team has their own a on the you know on the financial side their own business model on how they like to conduct their footballing business be it transfers be it um, how they go out and handle their social media their sales whatever that is right so they have their own business model but then every club also have their own style of keeping fans engaged and you know for Chelsea and Man City they're teams that are just coming up and becoming big teams, right? They don't have a rich history. They don't have something that they can say uh, happened in the 1970s, that, which is why the whole city or the whole fan group is so sort of amalgamated and just wants to be supportive of the team regardless of what happens with the team. So they have to spend it and they have to spend this kind of money to actually be considered a big team and, and you know fight for these Champions League spots. And I have a very hot take on this because I think that the, the MLBs and the NBAs have figured it out in terms of salary everything from salary cap to trading players i think that's a much better model than going ahead and bidding like a mil a hundred million dollars over asking price and just getting the player anyway uh, but anyway that's for another day um i totally agree with you uh, arts that uh, it's it depends on the type of organization that's being run I think in the current climate, if you're going to ask me what I would like my team to do, because that it's super subjective, I'd like Liverpool to have Sheikh Mansour as their owner so that, you know what, we, we're not only, we don't not only have an amazing fan base that's supportive of us regardless, we can even get the Hollands and the 
uh, Mbappe's and be that sort of force regardless of what's happening to the market, uh, regardless of whether uh, our our club is producing players like Curtis Jones or not, uh, like Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold or not. That was a disrespect. Sorry, Trent. Like Trent or not. Um, I didn't mean to mention Curtis over you. What are you talking about? You forgot to mention the best of all, Nathaniel Phillips. <laughs> Our boy, Nat Phillips. Let's go. Uh, but I was just looking at uh, the net spends just before this question. And uh, Ali, to answer your question about Man United, uh, United has spent, have spent close to a billion yeah. dollars. That's, that's why I wanted to open up this question. I'm sorry, Ali Karima. But like Manchester United are one of the biggest spenders in the world. They are definitely not afraid to spend money on top players. The fact that they can have a starting 11 that includes McTominay, Henderson, Greenwood, and Rashford is a sign that they are doing something very, very well with their youth academy and that they don't need to spend this much money. So if I was looking at it from a Man United perspective, I would say stop worrying about spending all the money on Sancho and Holland and all of these players start working more on actually developing your youth academy because it's working very well for you. And let's think about the recent past since Sir Alex Ferguson has left. If you think about the top money that they did spend on the Di Marias, the Sanchez um, and and other players that are coming for that high profile transfer that is just insane, it hasn't worked out. So maybe it is something that they've looked at and said, okay, it's not really working out. Um, we have a coach that believes in uh, in developing young players and is giving Rashford a chance. I mean, although that was Levin Gal is giving players a chance that they can you know come up from the youth and actually do something you know you have mason greenwood scott mctominay and dean henderson coming out so i think uh yeah that's that's definitely a fair question because you know you're looking at it in the past couple of years and seeing oh wait we haven't bought we bought Enzo cavani which who was out of contract like yeah but they tried to buy Jaden sancho for like 150 million and just dortmund wouldn't budge and they weren't willing to offer sancho a higher contract than he was already earning at dortmund so I think, honestly, I think they're doing something right. But to say that, why don't they spend money on top players is kind of crazy to me because Maguire was the most expensive defender in the world and Pogba was the most expensive player in the world when they signed. Martial was 80 million. He wasn't a youth academy product. So going to, into this question a bit more, the model of developing youth players and then selling them on or developing youth players and having them be your stars for a title race is very difficult to do. It's something that Dortmund have attempted to do over the past 20 years, and they've won two or three titles It's work- and gone into a Champions League final. Like It can work out, but it is a very difficult model to follow because you're competing with Bayern Munich, who can now say, okay, well, Lewandowski did so well for you. We're going to let the contract just run down, and then we're going to get him for free because obviously he's going to want to go to Bayern Munich and not stay with you. So it is a very difficult model. Norwich are trying this and it's working out very well for them where they're now coming right back up into the Premier League, having focused so much of their attention on developing youth and not spending big sums of money. But when they got into the Premier League last time, having not done that, they went straight back down to the championship. I think it's absolutely the answer to this question is if you have the money, you should look to spend it. And then it's just about the recruitment and the scouting of finding the right fits for your team because for example i don't think erling holland fits at chelsea right now i don't even think timo werner fits at chelsea right now it's about finding the right fits west ham for example this is a team that looked at what they had and they said okay we really like these two slavia prague players and they'll fit very well into our system let's buy them and look how well it's turned out for them
And uh, just before we forget, uh, we should definitely mention La Masia, who uh, in their prime produced Xavi, Iniesta, and uh, the the greatest of all time, Leo Messi. Oh, I thought you were going to say the greatest of all time, Sergio Busquets. <laughs> <laughs> Sergio, I mean, his assist for Messi's goal against Real Madrid, I mean, what can I say? To anyone watching out there, you got to know this assist. It's just, it's just too good. But I wanted to circle back and say, yeah, they bought uh, United bought Harry Maguire for eighty million, and to be honest, that kid's that guy is not even worth. That guy's probably worth forty, forty to fifty at best. But they bought, and and uh, we agree that you got probably got skewered because of uh, Van Dyke's price tag. But he's not the he's not worth them being the most expensive defender of all time. No, he isn't. I think to be fair, everyone's price is over overpriced these days. Uh, and to find a, a good deal like Andy Robertson for whatever it was, less than $15 million, to find a deal like that is so rare these days, and I, cr- I definitely give credit to the teams that can do it, but like I, I think you cannot just rely on your youth academy to develop players, and I think if you're asking me about Manchester United specifically, I would say they have figured it out better than pretty much any other team in the world with their mix of McTominay, Rashford, Greenwood, Henderson mixed in with the likes of Maguire, the likes of Pogba. Honestly, Fred has turned out to be a very good signing all of a sudden. And uh, Luke Shaw has turned out to be a very good signing. Sometimes these players take time. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, another good signing. So I, th- I think Manchester United are, are one of the very best teams when it comes to identifying the right fit for the team and spending the money on it while still having a strong emphasis on youth academy products. And I think a great example of that is Manchester City, who are leading the league right now. However, all of these big money transfers, it didn't quite work out uh, against Leeds United. Arjun, thoughts on the Leeds-Man City game? Leeds got lucky. Um, One man down. Just looking at some of the stats from this game, like City had 29 shots and Leeds had two. And That's a FIFA they game both right went there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just think that Leeds are like spectacular to watch. They're like super entertaining on the on the counter. Um, and there's just something about the top six teams that you know gets Leeds to just show up. I mean, they drew with Chelsea, they beat City now. They drew with City earlier. They beat Leicester, and then next week they've got Liverpool. So so watch out, Liverpool. Damn, that's a threat. That is that team is a threat. Uh, I I just um, I love watching uh, Leeds play just because I know that regardless of what happens, we're going to see some crazy passes. They're going to be running for at least 180 minutes out of the 90 minutes for sure. Every coach that has described Marco Bielsa has been nothing but praise, saying that he uh, Pep even came out and said that Bielsa knows more about the game than Pep does. And Pep is a way more celebrated coach than he is. It's just some people love, you know, the underdog story. Yeah, I think Bielsa is just a genius, honestly. Like, I don't, I don't really care where he manages. I think he's just going to do an amazing job no matter what. And I would just love the fact that he's taken these players like Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford and turned them into not just like Premier League level players, but some of the best Premier League players that the country has, which is amazing to me to see that sort of improvement from guys that were playing in the championship and obviously came from backgrounds, specifically Bamford came from a background where he didn't succeed in the Premier League when um, when he was given the opportunity in the past. I think they're, they're an example of a team that has 
uh, also had a very good mix of developing youth products and signing guys like Rafinha and Meslier as well on loan last season and then making that a permanent deal this season. It looks like a very smart piece of business. It's always exciting when Man City lose, to be honest. Um, I don't know how you, you as a Liverpool fan, probably feel the same way. Like, it's always fun to see... But in other news, there are some other Champions League fixtures coming up this week. It's not Liverpool that's just playing constantly. They're not the only team. Uh, Man City-Dortmund, it was a very exciting game the past week. Some controversial decisions. Kasi, what were your thoughts on the match as a whole? City are showing how they might not be the best team to win the Champions League this season. I think PSG are leading that race for me after even watching that game. Um I think Dortmund have a great chance of going through at home against City. Having picked up that one away goal is really good if you have a stellar defense because then you can go in the second leg and just defend that lead. But the thing is that uh, Emre Chan um, is full of mistakes. He's been he was at Liverpool and he showed that, and that's not going to change. It's not that. Uh, it's it's another one of those games where you know if if Man City end up choking it, I wouldn't be surprised because Dortmund played really well in the first leg. See, Emre Chan's just like a complete engine for the team, and he is sort of this like driving force. I would, I would always say Manuel Kanji, Mats Hummels have a mistake in them way more. Tama Munier should not be at this level, so I'm glad he's lost his starting place to Mateo Mori. I think Emre Chan's a very good player for the team, and I, I wouldn't necessarily take him out and he kind of allows Jude Bellingham to do sort of this box-to-box play as well because Emre Chan can help uh, stay back a bit more and and help Mahmoud Dahoud, um, or if it's Anaxel Witzel or Thomas Delaney, do a bit more defensive work. But yeah, there were so many decisions on this match, and it, it was just devastating to see as a Dortmund fan. Um, and there was nothing VAR could do about it because the referee just blew his whistle too fast, and I, I understand why he did. Like Referees are trained throughout their lives to make a decision quickly and then stick by it. However... That has changed since VAR has come in, and this ref completely just forgot about that in the moment, thought it was a foul when it completely wasn't. Ederson kicked Bellingham's leg, and Bellingham did not go down. I think it's a bit disgraceful the way Ederson and Rodri play acted, and I think they should be booked for that. I wish there was some kind of retribution VAR could do where they could come in and say, yes, this should be a goal, but ultimately it just wasn't possible for the the circumstance that was, but it was still encouraging to see Jude Bellingham at 17 play like that I he could easily be at Manchester City in a few years if he continues on like that um he's an unbelievable player that I've been very happy to watch I don't think they have any chance in the second leg Arjun what about you I mean first of all I totally echo your um thoughts on the Bellingham goal I think Dortmund were definitely unlucky to not walk away 2-2 it's I think it's too tight to call I think it's gonna be a pretty tight game I'm going to say that this one might go to extra time or, or penalties. I'd love to see Dortmund win, though. Everybody is supportive of the underdogs, Reese. Everybody loves the underdogs. It's difficult right now without Sancho. And it's also difficult when Holland's just kind of like searching for a move right now. And he's kind of just sulking around the pitch, being a bit of like a complainer when his teammates make mistakes. He's not really doing quite the same Holland-esque things. He hasn't scored a, a goal in, in a couple of games, which is unusual for him, uh, just given how insane his rate of scoring goals is. 
Um, I don't see them having any chance really in this second leg to say it would go in extra time. That would require them to score two goals and Man City to only score one, which just seems unlikely. Do you think the the manager has it in him to give that team talk that would lift up that team to perform in this sort of extenuating circumstances? We know that some managers are, you know, tactical masterminds. Some are player managers. Um, what's your manager like and why do you think that he has or doesn't have a chance when it comes to this game? Well, he's definitely not a tactical mastermind, so I think we can cross that one off the list. Um, I think he is definitely more of a motivator, and I think regardless of that, they have so many experienced players who are very vocal, like Marco Royce, Matt Hummels, Emre Chan is another one who is a very, very... Oh, Thomas Delaney is a big one who is just a very vocal presence for the team, and they have these players in the dressing room that could rally them. Even Erling Holland is like... He is a leader in himself, and he he's just has so much confidence and bravado that he could inspire the rest of the team. Dortmund's problem throughout the season hasn't been motivation. It's just the actual defensive work that they do on the training ground is completely lost in translation when they get to matches, or they're not doing the right work in terms of their defensive work on the training ground. But yeah, I guess that's where we'll end it for today. It was great to have you on, Arjun. Thanks so much for joining. Where can people find you? Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. My Instagram handle is uh, at the rate 19 arjun 89 So, yeah, feel free to shoot me any questions. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. And Kosti, no longer I hate Winchell. Where can people find you now? At Football Masterminds. It's been uh, a crazy week, and we, we had some setbacks on the family front, you know, we apologize for anyone who's watching our reels and enjoying our Instagram content, but we're back this week with uh, more content. So keep on a lookout. Uh, let us know what you think about the show and how we can make it more impressive. If you'd like to see us do different segments released throughout the weeks, uh, whatever wild ideas you have for our podcast, we're absolutely supportive of those. And keep on sending in your questions to Costi at Football Masterminds. I love these questions that we get and how outrageous some of them are with why doesn't Man United spend dollars? Come on, Manchester United spends plenty of dollars. I want to see questions like this. This is what we need for our show. So thank you to everyone who submitted the questions for this week. And if we didn't get to yours, maybe we'll get to it another week instead. You can find me at Desmond Reese at Mastermind site. We have plenty of tactical analyses on the mastermindsite.com of various teams that we've talked about today. If you want to hear more about why Brighton are so good, we've got lots of analyses on them. Liverpool, of course, we've done a lot of pieces on them as well. So check that out, the mastermindsite.com. If you are enjoying the show, please give us a rating on iTunes, especially a five-star rating. It would really help other people find the show. If you're enjoying this show so much, also consider becoming a subscriber to themastermindsite.com. You can do it for just a dollar per month, and then you get the Mastermind Monthly Magazine and a whole lot of subscriber exclusives with some articles and analyses that are coming out that are only for subscribers and for those that are able to see our monthly magazine at the very end of the month. So with that, thank you very much for listening. Have a good one and goodbye.